So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. So you can turn there or scroll there or whatever avenue you use for your Bible, but it'll also be on the screen when we get there. Uh, as many of you know, uh, in our family, we're, we're big into movies. Uh, I like action movies. Uh, and so a lot of times action movies... Like action, adventure, like they, they kind of sit at the top of the box office. You know, if you look at like a list of all the top grossing movies of all time, the majority of them are action and adventure movies. Uh, I think some of the things that really make those the movies that draw us, you know, they have engaging characters, they have big explosions and good chase scenes. Uh, but I think one of the things that makes a good action movie or book if you're you know if you read like you know kind of like adventure books and things like that more than you get into movies uh what makes them compelling is the mission that needs to be accomplished through throughout the movie or book they're trying to do something you know for example uh Star Wars uh Rogue One they were trying to steal and get the the Death Star plans in The Lord of the Rings they were trying to destroy this ring in Mount Doom uh, in Saving Private Ryan, they were trying to save Private Ryan. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think many times the mission is even more compelling if it's a rescue mission. I think there's something about rooting for them to be able, for people to be rescued that really draws us in. One of my favorite action movies, while well, maybe doesn't necessarily have a rescue mission in it, is Mission Impossible. Anybody seen, seen Mission Impossible? Maybe even watched the, the, old, the original TV show. It was, the movies were based on a show. Uh, but the mission always came with a message that said, your mission should you choose to accept it. And then came the decision, okay, I'm going to get on this mission, or I'm not going to do this mission, Right? Any mission that we would engage in comes with a choice as to whether we are going to get on board or not. And 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 gives us one of those your mission should you choose to accept it kind of moments. It really sets it up for us. In this passage, Paul also gives all of the specifics that we need to make a decision on whether we're going to join in on this mission or not. Because in those movies, anytime, they don't just say, uh, we're going to go on a mission, you pick whether you're going to get on it or not. They explain the mission. What's your role? What's the objective? Why should you care about this? <laughs> and Paul does that for us in 2 Corinthians 5. So let's, let's start by reading that. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, 
re-regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is calling us to join in on God's rescue mission. God's on a mission, and Paul is saying, come on, get on board. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is, and that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today. Uh, one of the, I was reading a book, uh, it's called Center Church. It's by uh, Tim Keller, not our Tim Keller from the district office, a different Tim Keller, uh, although I'm sure he would willingly take the credit for it, right? <laughs> uh, he says this about the mission of God. God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission, and the church must join him. The mission's already happening. It's active around us. Our job is to decide whether we're willing to see what God is already active and doing and choose to jump on board with him, to get into action with him. We have to decide whether we're going to join in. In order to make that decision, there are some things we need to know about the mission in order to make, our, make that call. The first is what is our role in this mission? What is it we're being called to do? Well, what are we doing here? Our role, according to this passage, is to be ambassadors for Christ. He says, that's what he, he says in this passage. And to help us understand kind of what that means and where that's coming from, I want to take a few minutes and look at the context, at, at the original audience that Paul is talking to, the Corinthians. See, in New Testament times, Corinth was a coastal city with a bunch of ports that traders from all over the world would come to. And so because of that, Corinth was home to many extreme lifestyles and false religious beliefs. There was a lot of stuff from all over the world coming into those ports, and it was creating this atmosphere, this, this culture. The setting was hardly conducive for living the best life that God intended for the Corinthian church. Corinth struggled to know how to live for Christ as the new creations that they had become by putting their trust in Christ. Some of the Corinthian believers had decided to seclude themselves, kind of pull away from, from the culture and at, you know, kind of separate themselves completely from the unbelievers that were living and working around them. Now, there were also others who continued to live in the community and be a part of what was happening, 
but in a way that they weren't letting their newfound Christianity impact their behavior. It wasn't affecting their everyday lives. Kind of like the way we would look at it now, it would be like they prayed a prayer but just kept going on with their lives. So Paul wrote to them to help them understand how they should live in a place that was so opposite of their new way of thinking. An ambassador is someone who is sent as a resident representative of their country to a foreign country. So random example, say like the French ambassador to Portugal. I don't know why I picked those two countries. (laughs) Uh, France has sent this person as a representative of France in Portugal. They live and move about in Portugal, but they are citizens of France. That's an ambassador. So Paul is using this analogy to help the new believers in Corinth to see their role in this rescue mission. When they became Christians, when we become Christians, our citizenship is transferred. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We become ambassadors to this world. But our citizenship is elsewhere. The Corinthian believers were struggling to live as ambassadors. They were either separating themselves completely from the world and thus not representing God, or they were misrepresenting God in the world. They were living in it, but they weren't living in the way that God was calling them to live. That's, that's not the way that God intended for this ambassador thing to work out. Paul demonstrated what he was challenging the Corinthians to do. Him and his companions not only spoke on behalf of Christ, but their lives represented Christ's life and character as well. They lived it. As Christ's representatives, they were charged with presenting the message of God's plan of reconciliation to the world. We're going to pause for just a minute. Uh, Because reconciliation is a word that we're going to use a lot today. um, Because it is really at the heart of this passage. Reconciling is making things right between two parties, between two sides. This mission is about making things right between God and people, between God and the world. This is our call as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of Christ. The message or the ministry of reconciliation, that's our call. The ministry of making things right between God and people. Once things are right between us and God, then that, that happens through Christ. And we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. We, we become ambassadors who, whose rescue mission is to spread that message that we're going to dive into, that message of how others can fix their broken relationship with God and be reconciled. As ambassadors, 
We have to live in the realization that God has placed us on earth as representatives of the kingdom of heaven. In love, we should seek to advance the kingdom of God. Get on board with this mission. We have to allow Christ in us to be an example to those around us. We should look at life in a completely different way because we don't represent ourselves. We don't represent the world. We represent Christ. And as verse 20 says here, God is making his appeal through us. His appeal is be reconciled to God. And he's making that appeal to to people through us. Our call is to be ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is to spread the message of reconciliation. And that message, the content of which is the second thing we need to know whether we're going to join in on this mission or not. What is the message of reconciliation that Paul talks about in this passage? There are several key phrases in our passage today that spell it out. And so this is a passage I'm, I'm really familiar with. I've read this a bunch of times. But as I was reading through it in preparation for this morning, the key components of the gospel message are all in place in this passage in Corinthians. It's really, it's really quite cool. So we're going to kind of look through that because that is the content of this message of reconciliation, the gospel message. Starting in verse 18. So we're going to kind of move around a little bit in the passage. Verse 18, it says, God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, their relationship was broken with God. And thus our relationship with God was broken. Sin separates us from him. So get your imagination going for a second. Uh, How many of you like to hike? All right. Have you ever been hiking and and you came up on this kind of chasm of sorts where there's like you're at like a cliff and there's another cliff on the other side and you're like, "Hmm. How do I get from here to there?" It it's too far to jump. It's too high to climb down and just climb up the other side. How do you get there? And oftentimes, when you come across those spots, you'll just kind of walk along until you find some sort of bridge or a tree that is laying across the chasm so that you can walk across it or probably more like me, crawl across it, hugging the thing so you don't fall down in because uh, you don't trust your balance or like heights. Uh, <laughs> sure, it, it's possible that the tree got there by chance, um, but it's likely that Somebody put it there intentionally to be able to get across that chasm. And then, because they put it there, you also can get across. So in your imaginations, as, you, as you're picturing this wide gap that you can't get across, I want you to picture God standing on the other side. You're separated from him. And he just kind of picks up this tree and lays it down across that chasm to give you a way to get to him. Without him doing that, you can't get to him. 
through Christ, God bridged the gap. He put that tree over that gap. Jumping back to the beginning of our passage in verses 14 and 15, it says that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That tree came in the form of him giving his son as a sacrifice. He bridged that gap through the sacrifice of his son. Jesus died for everyone as a representative of everyone. By Christ's death, the death penalty for sin has been paid for everyone who trusts in him. God counts our old life as gone. So while your imaginations are are going, I want you to imagine for a minute that you are on trial for some pretty serious crimes. Okay? And, you know, the closing arguments have been given, and it's, you know, the jury has already gone and deliberated, and uh, you guys are going to be my jury, okay? All right? So the jury foreman stands up, and he faces everybody in the room, and he says, we find the defendant guilty on all accounts. And then the judge, you know, he goes, order in the court, order in the court, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what judges do, maybe it's not. Uh, and he sentences you to death. They found you guilty, and your sentence is, is death. And as he says, bailiff, take the defendant away. Somebody comes in the back, walks all the way up front, and he says, I'll serve a sentence for him. Take me instead. You did the crime. This person did nothing wrong. But they've offered themselves in your place. They will pay your death penalty so that you can walk free. Do you imagine that happening in any courtroom ever Probably not. But that's what Jesus did. By dying on the cross, he did that for every single person. He gave them a chance to get across that chasm to God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. When we sin, the penalty is death. We're guilty. But... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin earned us a death sentence. But Jesus said, I'll serve that sentence for him. We're given new life. We're given eternal life. Verse 17 goes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So sometimes I think this can be a little bit hard to wrap our heads around. Like, what does that really mean? You know, it's like, ah, oh, it's a fresh start. We're turning over a new leaf. It, it's not just turning over a new leaf. It's being recreated. It's being born again. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he talked about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? How can, I've already been born. How can I be born again? That's what he's talking about here. It's recreated. It's becoming a completely new thing. Uh, in one of his books, I believe it's Forgotten God, 
I couldn't remember exactly which book, but Francis Chan, in one of the books of his that I've read, <laughs> uh, he uses the analogy of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. It's not like this caterpillar just sprouts wings and now it's a butterfly. It goes into its cocoon and it's completely recreated. It goes in as a caterpillar it comes out as a butterfly. It's a whole new creature. That's what God does for us. That's what Christ did for us with his sacrifice. We don't have to crawl on the ground anymore. As our new creation, as a butterfly, we can fly. Because of the work Christ has done for us. Verse 19 goes on to say, it doesn't count our trespasses against us. When we become that new creation, that stuff that we were on death row for, he's not counted against us anymore. That's incredible. In this newness of life, the sin that once separated us from God, it's been paid for. There, there, there's this fancy theological word, justification. It's the act of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. Uh, I know this goes back a couple years, but uh, I remember one Sunday when, when Crystal and I were teaching the teen Sunday school class, we were working through, I want to say mere Christianity, <laughs> uh, was, was the actual book. I know it was C.S. Lewis. Um, but we were talking about justification. And the way that works is that because of the sacrifice of Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Because you're a new creation. He doesn't see that stuff anymore. It's gone. He's not counting your trespasses against you. You've been reconciled with him. And this is the message of reconciliation. The message of salvation. The whole concept of this rescue mission is based on what Christ does for us. Maybe this message is familiar to you. Maybe it's something that you've been living under, but kind of forgot what it was really all about. Yeah, I get eternal life, but how did I get there? (laughs) Let this serve as a reminder or refresher course, something that should ignite in you a passion to remember the work that he did in you. But maybe this is brand new for you. Maybe this message is, you've heard it, you didn't really get it, or you've never heard it before. This is the way that God reconciles you to himself. This is the way that you can have eternal life. He can do this work in you. If that's the case, I want to encourage you, whether it's now, a little later today, tomorrow, or the next day, 
any day. Talk to him about it. God, that's what I want. I want you to do that work in my life. I need, I need to be forgiven of some stuff. I need to be a new creation. Don't miss that opportunity. Because that's what this is all about. This, this message is the content of our mission. Our call is to be ambassadors. The content is the gospel. Christ gave his life that each of us might have newness of life and have it eternally. But why? Why should we join in on this mission? Why should we choose to get on board? We don't do much of anything in this life without somebody giving us a reason why we should do it. Without buying in to what it is we're about to do. That's a really important part. Question I thought of, you know, well, why do coaches give a pregame speech? <laughs> uh, because they feel like they need to motivate and give their players a reason to go out there and give it everything that they've got. To give it their best shot without motivation, without a reason to drive us. Why should we get out there? Years ago, there was a, a popular study. It was called Not a Fan. Some of you maybe are familiar with that. Uh, the concept was, I'm not a fan of Jesus. That sounds really weird, right? Uh, I'm not a fan. I'm a follower of Jesus. You see, fans, they know stuff about players on the team. As many of you know, I'm a big Steelers fan. Some shocked faces, and I know it's new information to you guys. <laughs> uh, but I know a lot about the Steelers, a lot about the players on the Steelers. And we, we're pointing fingers over here. He's a, he's a fan too? Not of the Steelers, no. But we know, those of us who are a fan of a team, we know a lot about them and about the players on the team, but we don't know them personally. <laughs> We know a lot about them. They have no idea who we are. <laughs> that is not a personal relationship. But I think that happens a lot where we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus personally. We don't have that strong relationship with him. Another aspect of this is that fans sit in the stands, or even worse, at home on the couch. <laughs> They're not even at the game. They're watching it on TV, right? But yet, while in the stands or on their couch, they're yelling at the refs. They're second-guessing all of the decisions that the, the coaches are making. Why did you go for two again? Anybody who's a Steelers fan feels that pain. <laughs> um, but we do those things from a distance. We're not in the game. We're not active. Now I can tell you all that stuff about the Steelers, but I don't know them. I'm not active. I'm not in the game. We're called to get in the game. We're called not to be in the stands or to be on our couch. Why? But why? Why should we get out of the stands? Why should we get off our couch and get into the game where it's going to be hard? It's going to be hard if I get in the game. I might get banged up. 
I might get hurt. I might have the fans that are still not in the game second-guessing everything I do. Why should I get in? Paul lays on the pregame speech, the motivational speech, pretty thick throughout his, his writings in Scripture. So why should we get involved? What's our motivation to go out there where it's going to be hard and we might get banged up and we might have people second-guessing us and watching us and judging us? Why should we do that? Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. That's why. Paul made every effort to help others be reconciled to God because of love. This could be the love that Christ has for us. It could be the love that we have for Christ. I think both of those should really motivate us. Uh, we're going to flip over uh, to 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, if you want to follow along. But it's also going to be on the screen. This passage really speaks to this. It really gets into the, the love concept here. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. because uh, I just really like the way that it said it. Uh, and as we go, I'm going to kind of pause in the middle, so it's not just going to be like flowing through. That's mostly for people upstairs to know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right, starting in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. When we are controlled by this love, it is proof that God lives in us. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. When we are controlled by love, there's fear. There is no fear. We don't need to be afraid to get in the game or to get in the mission. His love takes us over and casts out that fear. The fear of getting banged up. The fear of becoming a casualty of the mission. Verse 19. Why? We love because he first loved us. We engage in this ministry of reconciliation, the mission of rescuing people from sin and death as a response to the love that we have experienced. We love because we were first loved. When we experience the amazing love of God in our lives and the fullness that it brings, we are motivated then to share that love with those who don't know it, with those who haven't experienced it. So, this is both an example and a shameless plug. Uh, have you ever had a burger at Pub 302? I have. It's good. <laughs> okay? And so whenever anybody asks me, where can I get a good burger, I'm going to say, at Pub 302. Go over there, you can get a good burger. And I'll, like the first time I had one, I was like, I got to post about this burger. <laughs> Hey, I just had a great burger. Go get one over there, okay? We experienced something 
and we felt compelled to share it with others. I got to enjoy that good burger. You should get to go enjoy that good burger. It should be the same thing. We got to experience the amazing love of God, and that love should compel us to say, I got to experience this love. You should experience it too. Here's where you can experience it. Go do it. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If we truly love those around us, we will feel an urge to help them find reconciliation with God. I, I love my wife and my kids very much. I, that love drives me to protect them. We all have people in our lives, whether it's friends or family, that we would be willing to die to protect. Why isn't it the same when it comes to eternity? If we truly love people, we would go to any lengths to protect them for eternity. If we don't feel this this compelling, do we really love them? And if we don't really love them, Do we really love him? If we really love God, that love should control us. It should compel us to, as the passage says, implore others on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We should be compelled to storm into the mission, onto the field, to rescue them. Because we love them and we'd go to any lengths, no matter what the cost, no matter how many people might be second-guessing what we're doing. Because we love them and we want them to be reconciled to God. Verse 15 gives us a little, even a little bit more motivation. It says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ died for every single person. Let me personalize that for a second because Christ's sacrifice was overtly personal. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He died for every single person to free you from sin and death. To give you life so that you could get across that chasm to be with him. So that you could then also be his ambassador and help him give life to as many as possible. He died so that those who live, that's you when you're in Christ, that those who live might not live for themselves. When we sit in the stands and we watch the game, We're choosing not to accept the mission. We choose self. We choose fear. We choose laziness. We choose disobedience. 
And what we're saying is that the way I want to live is more important than the call that God has placed on my life. He died that we might not choose self, but instead choose to live for him as his representatives here. We should be controlled by the love that he showed, by giving himself for us. We should be motivated by the fact that the purpose of his death was not just to save you, but to save everybody. Chances are pretty good that someone else joined in on the mission of God And that's why you've been reconciled to God. Someone shared this message of reconciliation with you. That's why you have eternal life. And you can fully experience the love of Christ. Imagine if they didn't. Imagine if that person who shared the message of reconciliation with you had decided to stay in the stands, had decided not to join in on the mission, where would you be? Get in the mission. Be controlled by the love that you have for Christ, the love that Christ has for you, and the love that you both have for everybody else. This is the greatest rescue mission ever. Life is literally on the line. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to implore others on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Because for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, God looks at us. He sees the righteousness of Christ rather than all our screw-ups. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for rescuing us. Thank you for your sacrifice. For giving us a bridge to get to you. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would lay a burden on each of our hearts to get in the mission and to tell everybody about the awesome love that we get to experience so that they can experience it too. Do a work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to get off the bench, out of the stands, off the couch, wherever we're at. Help us to just get on board with what you are actively doing. In your name we pray. Amen.